thank you, everyone. Please stand. <clears throat> then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter? Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. I love those Gospels that end with wailing and grinding of teeth and then we say the good news of the Lord. <clears throat> Before I get back into my talk, everyone, a couple of resources so I, this doesn't happen and then I forget to uh, mention it to you. A couple of websites that I would encourage you to pay attention to. You're probably already familiar with them. Discerninghearts.com. Discerninghearts.com. A lot of tremendous stuff on that website. It's largely Omaha-based. You have Father T uh, Timothy Gallagher on there. You have Deacon James Keating. You have the Archbishop. Uh, there's all kinds of things and resources on there. The other one is priestlyformation.org, www.priestlyformation.org. It's the Institute for Priestly Formation. Tremendous amount of resources there. It's not just for priests or seminarians or those in priestly formation. So check those two websites out. Also, basically what I'm going through, we're not going to be able to cover it all. But I'm basically, what I'm, what I'm covering this morning is the dynamics, it's not a method, but the dynamics of hearts speak, heart speaking to heart, huh? So uh, Newman, St. Uh, Newman, corad cor loquitur, heart speaking to heart, that intimacy with God, closeness to God, friendship with God, is this heart speaking to heart. And the dynamics of that for an acronym, and this should be taught at every level in a parish, at faith formation, second graders, adult faith formation, preaching, all of this. Without even saying it, this is the dynamic one should be trying to evoke and engage. It's, it's R, A-R-R-R, R, praying like a pirate. R, okay, what I don't do to try to entertain you guys. And it stands for acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. That the dynamics 
of a heart wanting to be in union with another heart, to be close to, to it, is acknowledging what is in mine and relating it and then receiving in the relating and then responding. Huh? So acknowledging. So into, folks, the, one cannot have a lively faith if one is incapable of doing these two things honestly and consistently. Those are the adverbs. adverbs. Honestly and consistently. Honestly and consistently acknowledging and relating what is in my heart to God. Honestly and consistently acknowledging and relating what is in my heart to God. The good, the bad, the ugly. Nothing comes of being a plastic statue in prayer. And like saying what you think God wants you to say or whatever. It begins by honestly and acknowledging. Honestly, I'm sorry, honestly and consistently acknowledging and relating. And then the receiving happens just naturally from that. For that lesson, I encourage this little book, everyone. And I encourage you pastors to go through it with your staffs. The parish as a school of prayer. The parish as a school of prayer. It's from a South Dakota boy. Father Scott Trainer, Diocese of Sioux Falls. He's now the rector of the seminary in Denver, Colorado. Father Scott Trainer, The parish as a school of prayer. He actually takes off on St. John Paul II's quote about our parish communities need to become schools of prayer where the heart truly falls in love. And the core curriculum of that school, he says, is A-R-R-R. Uh, it might not work for everyone, and I'm not trying to somehow suggest I'm some uh, model to follow at all, but here's what I do in, at the cathedral uh, pa uh, pastors. Here's what we do with our staff. I only have a staff meeting once a month, but the first 30 minutes of that staff meeting, I have assigned reading to the staff, and the first 30 minutes is we share as to where their heart rested or resisted, what, what jumped out at them, what tugged at them, what grabbed them. And we discuss it. The women share it, the men discuss it. The first 30 minutes of every staff meeting so I'm actually in that trying to teach the staff and myself these dynamics. Because inevitably someone will say, gosh, I wish, I wish that was something I had or did or whatever. And then one says, so when you bring that to God, what does he do? I don't. I just been thinking about it. 
So uh, this, if, you, if, if I could suggest four books, it would be this, and then from this I would go with Time for God by Jacques Philippe, from there to I Believe in Love by L. Bay, E-L-B-E-E, and then from there um, to The Rules for Discernment of Spirits by Timothy Gallagher. See if those work for you. Uh, all of those, in one way or another, incorporate and encourage these. So this, time for God, I believe in love, and rules for the discernment of spirits. What's critical about growing in this, what we're talking about, is knowing how to respond to spiritual desolation. And we don't have time to talk about that at all these days. But how how to be with God in spiritual desolation, what the choice I make not to leave him during those times. And um, his book on St. Ignatius's rules is fantastic uh, in dealing with that element, okay? So I recommend those websites, and if you're gonna try this staff thing, I would recommend those four books. Okay. Back to um, these five steps. So we've, we've gone through the four steps, right? So believing in faith on how God beholds me. Second, believing in faith that the Lord wants me to meet him, to taste him, to encounter him. Because his love is what makes me good. His love is what makes me good. And then third... To actually want that and to let that desire grow and grow. Fourth, to relate that desire, to bring it to Jesus. To bring it to Jesus. To bring that desire to Jesus. So dear people, the gold, the gold in becoming holy, the gold in becoming a happy, holy person, the gold in our relationship with God is unfulfilled good desires. Unfulfilled good desires. Unfulfilled good desires. What do I mean by that? I wish the brother that I've been um, unreconciled with over the last 20 years that we would actually be reconciled. I wish that would happen. But I don't know how to make that happen. Right there, you know, this is where God wants to do something beautiful for you. Wherever you become consciously aware of an un, good, unfulfilled desire that you would like to change but can't, you'd like to cause but can't, you'd like to control but can't, you'd like to make happen but can't. You're in this beautiful place of receptivity. It's where all the gold is. It's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs if they know how to receive. Pride hates that place. Pride hates it. 
and the proud spend their entire life thinking holiness is about getting rid of all that stuff in my life. Instead of letting God do stuff for me that I can't. This unfulfilled good desire could be about something in me. It could be about the past, could be about the present, could be about the future. Could be about someone else. I wish my children would go to Mass. I wish I wouldn't have been such an idiot in college. I wish my marriage could, have, could be like it was at the beginning when there was so much warmth and we were so good to each other. And now it's just quiet resignation. I wish good, unfulfilled desires is where all the gold is in living in grace. And so, I think if you want to put a theological name to unfulfilled good desires, the word is the cross. And the Catholic Church for 2,000 years has said this, there is no salvation outside of the cross. I am saved precisely by bringing my unfulfilled desire to God and letting him get his way. That's all Jesus and Mary could do. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. I can't get these people to love me. I can't get these people to believe that I'm God. I can't make this happen. And Mary just stood there. This seems all wrong to me, Jesus. This doesn't seem to be of God. I, would, I wish you wouldn't be being killed right now. But there's nothing I can do. Let it be done to me. Jesus, get your way. What else can they do? They can pull out the sword like Peter did and start cutting off ears. They can run away. They can be scared of their unfulfilled desire. God can't pull this off. I have to go take care of myself, protect myself, live in fear. Or I can simply bring my unfulfilled, unfulfilled desire to God and receive love there. What I'm proposing to you, dear people, is this lively faith, when it looks at that, lively faith ultimately doesn't see suffering. Lively faith sees God pouring out himself there. And so when I'm at the cross, my focus isn't suffering. My focus is this is where I receive the love of God. 
That's what celibacy was always meant to be. Celibacy was always meant to draw a person, a man, very acutely to an unfulfilled desire so this man's capacity to receive the love of the Father would be increased. So his heart would be on fire because he's bringing this to God, not to the TV, not to bachelorhood fathers, not to 10 stupid hobbies. But I go there and I see that I'm the most loved person in the whole wide world and I don't need to be afraid of any of this suffering because I never am alone at the cross. I'm always with, I'm always with, I'm always with, I'm always with. And a man who doesn't know how to do that becomes a wimp and he doesn't lead anyone anywhere. That's what this whole thing is about. Lively faith ultimately is about the cross is where God pours out his love on me. Because where I am in need, where I am miserable, where I am suffering, where I am lowly, where I am poor, where I'm not enough, where I'm inadequate, that is where I have a desire in my heart that is not fulfilled and it makes me suffer. And if I lack faith, it turns me into myself. You know what St. Augustine's definition of evil is? You know what he says the spirit of evil is like in the human heart? The spirit of evil in the human heart is incurvatus est in se, which is Latin for the spirit of evil in the human heart is curved in on itself. I have a need for love. I don't turn to God, I turn into me. I have a need for affirmation. I don't turn to God. I turn to all of you. And you're going to let me down. So I turn in on myself. And then very quickly, it's poor me. No one loves me. I got it so hard. Self-pity is the demon to receptivity. It's where I am turning in my, on myself when it comes to an unfulfilled desire. <clears throat> it's where all the gold is. What do you do with your unfulfilled desire? Scotch? The computer? Food? Another new F-250? 
another trophy? Or do I know how to go and let the Lord know what I need and hold it up to him? I need this, Lord, and I'm not leaving. I'm not running after this other stuff. I need it from you. And that's what brings me to prayer every single day. Because he is the fulfillment of our desires. But in this rich world we live in, we have gotten so we have we have gotten so rich we have tried to fulfill our desires in so many ways by technology and pleasures and wealth that our hearts don't go to him anymore because we have so many other things to distract us from it So, at any given moment, a good question is, what is my unfulfilled desire? Bring it to God. Think about this, everyone. Think about if you had a script of all your desires on any given day, think about how few you actually bring to him. Think of how you keep yourself to yourself, stuck in yourself, turned in on yourself, thinking about yourself, relating to yourself. And the Blessed Trinity is in you. Right there. But I bring nothing to and carry all these burdens all the time by myself. That's what this whole thing is about. So the fifth one, the fifth step, the fifth step, um, this is something something that I was given in 2004 when I made a 30-day silent retreat uh, according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And it's been something that's been very dear to my heart that has informed how this whole thing works in my soul. And it's something I share with a lot of people who suffer from fear, who suffer from anxiety, who suffer from worries, who suffer from all these sorts of things they want to control but can't, want to change but can't, want to make happen but can't. How does one stay with God there? How does Patrick stay with the cute pianist there and not leave her? The scripture passage I like to use is... um, is uh, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It's Peter walking on water. 
So the, uh, if, if you're wondering what's the fifth step, the fifth step is focusing on Christ and wanting him to get his way in the midst of unfulfilled desire. Focusing on Christ and wanting him to get his way in my unfulfilled desire. I bring it to him. Step four is I bring it to him and I stay focused on him, wanting him to get his way. So you know the story of Peter walking on water. So the apostles are on the boat. It's the middle of the night, 2 or 3 a.m., around in there. A big storm comes up. They're afraid they're going to die. They're going to afraid this boat's going to capsize and die. And so how about just for nice imagination's sake, think of like seven-foot waves about. Sea of Galilee is about seven miles long, five miles wide. It's not the Mediterranean, but it's still a pretty good-sized lake. And so imagine the boats, uh, most of us priests have been, uh, have been in them, I suppose about a six-foot wave, seven-foot wave, which is pretty good. Come and crash, and maybe even higher. Anyway, so they're scared. They're, they think they're going to die. And then uh, Jesus is on the mountain. He comes walking on the sea. Um, they think he's a ghost. They get uh, afraid again. He says, don't be afraid, it is I. And now Peter... This beautiful man, Peter says, listen to the instincts in his heart. Jesus, if it is you, tell me to do something I can't. And you, and I have to trust you'll take care of me. If it's you, Jesus, tell me to do something I can't. And you have to take care of me. Jesus, if it is you, put into me an unfulfilled desire that I can fill. And I trust you will. Jesus, if it is you, tell me to get out of this boat and walk on the water. Do you see how counterintuitive that is for us who don't have faith? We would have said, Jesus, if it is you, get in this boat and tell this whole thing to stop. This man with lively faith says, Jesus takes care of me where I can't. And so if it's you, tell me to come out where I can't take care of myself and you'll take care of me. And so Jesus says, come. And this beautiful man who was afraid of dying by these waves when he was inside of the boat gets on these very waves. Imagine, imagine that sight. The 11 watching him get out of that boat. Priests, that's what lay people need from us. The guts that come from faith. Anybody could be a bachelor. When I say bachelor, I'm not talking about a guy who's not married. I'm talking about a guy who lives alone. He just is alone in his heart. 
A man who's not loved, he's alone. He's chosen to be alone in his heart. So he gets out, walks on the water, steps out, and he is walking on water. Peter is doing what he can't. He is receiving from Jesus. What's in Jesus is in Peter. Jesus can walk on water. And so is Peter because he's receiving it from Jesus. As long as he's focused on Christ. In the midst of this thing that's beyond him. As long as he stays focused on Christ, he's receiving from Jesus. But then the key text says this. Noticing the force of the wind and the strength of the storm, the strength of the storm, the force of the wind, he began to sink. Now when he got focused on this thing which was beyond him, on this thing that he would like to control but can't, on this thing he would like to change but can't, when he got focused on that, and that was his focus, he stopped receiving. And he began to sink, and he yells out, Jesus, save me. Jesus grabs him, throws him in the boat, and Jesus says these words, defines forever for us what faithlessness is like. You of little faith, why did you doubt? To live faithlessly... To follow the spirit of doubt is in the midst of my unfulfilled desire, I focus on that and I try to figure it out and I obsess about it and I dwell on it and all my prayer comes out of that. And so my prayer is actually out of a spirit of doubt, not a spirit of faith. And I spend my life begging Jesus to get rid of everything that makes me have to trust in him. And so I pray this way, Jesus, get rid of this storm, and then I can doggy paddle. And I don't need to receive from you. I just doggy paddle. And my whole life becomes a prayer about getting rid of everything that's beyond me. So I don't have to go to him for stuff. Give me all this money so I can, my money can make me feel secure and I don't have to find my security in your providence. And so this fifth step in receiving from the Lord is when I become consciously aware of something I'd like to change but can't, I focus on him. Huh? So if there's any in, the, in this room who made a terribly, terrible choice in your past and it comes up and punches you in the stomach and you have regret and then it sucks you into it, how could I be so dumb? 
And it sucks you into that and you dwell on it and you focus on it. To receive there, all you do is when it comes up, you hold it up to Christ, I give you this. I trust in you, get your way. Right here, I need you to heal me. I entrust it to you. Redeem my life, it's yours. Thank you for being so good to me. And when it comes up again, I do it again. When it comes up again, I do it again. When it comes up the 700th time today, I do it the 700th time. I don't focus on Christ for five seconds and then go back into focusing on the storm. Because you understand when you're focusing on the storm, you're following a spirit of doubt. That is a choice not to receive from God. It's a choice not to receive. To be alone, to be self-reliant. I'm going to control my world. You understand, I'm not talking about a spirituality of irresponsibility where I lay in bed saying, Jesus, make me waffles. This is about, I'm consciously aware of something that is beyond me. That I'd like to control but can't, I'd like to change but can't, I'd like to make happen but can't. And the fact that I've, that I've obsessed about this for four years is a pretty good idea, I can't. No matter how many books St. Peter reads on walking on water, he can't. That's the crooks of the matter. Because dear people, at the unfulfilled desire, when that comes up in us, that is where the battle between heaven and hell takes place. Because the spirit against God wants to come there and make me say, make me believe God doesn't take care of me. I got to turn in on myself. And so I never go there. Because there is where God has to take care of me. And so I never get close to God. He never becomes my father who takes care of me. Because my whole spirituality, the reason I go to church is to avoid that. All my prayers when I kneel down before Mass, Jesus, please do this, do this, do this, do this, and then I don't have to trust in you. I just want to doggy paddle my whole life. I don't ever want to have to walk on water. I don't ever want to rise from the dead because that's beyond me. So, that's the fifth step. Is that clear? 
everyone at works, keep it really, 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 really simple. Priest, I need a I need a homily this weekend. Gosh. I need a homily this weekend. What am I gonna do? Huh. I know, it's probably gonna go bad. History would show that that's probably true. The first response has to be, the first response to be is Jesus. Please. Please give me something. These are your people. I hold this up to you. And then I do my study, of course. I do my prayer. I read the commentary. But I'm not doing that with non-relational thinking. I'm doing it with him. And when a heaviness comes, a loneliness comes, I go to him. I don't live alone. My priesthood is his, and if I'm not with him, I have no priesthood. So, <clears throat> this plays out in a thousand and one ways in our daily lives. Because when we start paying attention to our heart, every day we have dozens and dozens and dozens of unfulfilled desires. And where we lack faith, we just go to a quiet resignation where the gospel doesn't apply to me. I've just settled. Jesus is really with me all the time. God is really present with me all the time. Nah. I have to give up on that. And I only believe that when I feel like he is. And then I believe it. Etc. 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 So let's watch that. Lastly, to get really, really, really specific now on an unfulfilled desire and how this works and where to receive, dear people, I, I encourage this. The reason I re read this gospel is this. So this this uh, man who was given the one talent, what was given and received at one point was lost. He who received, this is how it works, the more you receive, the more you're able to receive. The more I live in this self-focused world, the more I lose. And when I live in this self-focused world and I'm losing, what, what, what? is this guy not able to enter into? Joy. Those who are able to uh, um, uh, respond to what they received, they entered into the master's joy. This other guy who lived in fear didn't. 
And so I'm sure he thinks he got ripped off. Why does that guy get 11 and I have none now? It's not fair. Envy and self-pity. The two most underestimated demons today. Envy and self-pity. Envy and self-pity. And brother priests, I think they're alive and well in the presbyterate and priesthood. Envy and self-pity. Envy and self-pity. And what's behind them all, what's behind them all is what the Greek says about this guy. So he's called a wicked and lazy servant. Out of fear, he says. <clears throat> Brother Priest, the greatest commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, I encourage you to get it. it is, it's as good as you get. It's Erasmo Maracacus. He's a Trappist monk. He has four volumes. When you put them all together, they're about that wide, guys. But, but he is not some just scholarly brainiac that speaks in language that uh, you, you don't understand or doesn't, doesn't stick. This is coming out of his prayer, and he's obviously a brilliant man. Um, and he's this Trappist monk, Erasmus, Erasmo Maracacus. And anybody who has a name Erasmo Maracacus, you can trust with, like, Greek. Erasmo Maracacus, and his, his um, commentary on this gospel is this. He says, this, this servant wasn't lazy like he laid on the couch and ate Doritos and didn't put forth any effort. He says the Greek is this, that the root of what this master is saying, the root, a word in the Greek, is also the root word in the French, in French words, for a being held back, a shriveling, a constraining, a shrinking. It's used for timidity in French. A being held back, shriveling, shrinking servant. And because he has this shrinking, shriveling movement inside of him, he is held back and doesn't actually do what he knows would be the right thing, the good thing, etc. It's this shriveling, it's smallness of soul, this constriction of soul. You feel it in many different ways. We all do. I was on the NCDVD board, the National Conference for, the, for Diocesan Vocation Directors, NCDVD of the USCCB of the... That's, yeah. And uh, we, had, we had a big, big annual convention every year. And so all the, all the vocation directors from around the country would show up. So it was just about 200 priests. And then a lot of bishops throughout the weekend, a cardinal here, a cardinal there. The masses were big with a lot of big people there. And so it was a pretty big deal. Well, one particular mass um, well into this convention, 
uh, a bishop was going to be the celebrant in homilist, and there was a cardinal there sitting in choir, a few, uh, about a half a dozen bishops, and then all these priests and lay people, etc. Well, the celebrant bishop got held up in his flights and didn't make it. And the news didn't get to us until 30 minutes before the Mass. Monsignor Rob Pankey is the president, and my friend, I'm the vice president. He turned to me and said, Tom, you need to preach. I thought he was my friend up to that point. <laughs> Dear people, I'm telling you, when he said those words to me, there was such a constriction of soul. Just as <clears throat> this scared, being held back, wimpy, worried about myself. Just sucking all the life out of me. Just as, uh, and none of it had anything to do with I was afraid God wouldn't get his way. It was all about I'm afraid I will look bad. So I went into the bathroom, threw up, prayed. That's a dramatic way, but it happens on all kinds of little ways. The other day I was with my bishop and brother priest, and the bishop said, uh, Tom, uh, why, why don't you offer an opening prayer? <clears throat> I've been a priest for 20 years. I can't say an opening prayer. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I, I should re reply to, I should go through all my emails. <clears throat> I'm at the water cooler. Stuff is being talked about with the faith. I should really say something. <clears throat> There's a conflict in the family. There's a conflict at the workplace. There's a conflict in the parish. I should really go address it. <clears throat> All of that is about Jesus being held back. The master not getting his way. And what happens is we lose faith. We lose joy because we're not following God. We're following smallness of soul, not magnanimity. The primary, the primary image, the primary image used in the Old Testament of what God does, dear people, what God does for his people the primary image is the Exodus event. That's the image for Lent. That Yahweh was someone who freed his people from slavery. What holds them back where they're not free. 
The love of God received frees me and gives me life. It frees me so I can be who I was made to be. And as Father Bishop Gru said, so I can light the world on fire. Jesus' salvation, received love, frees me. And it frees me from this, uh, that holds me back from living a committed daily prayer life, that holds me back from preaching the gospel boldly, that holds me back from apologizing when I need to apologize. And so I encourage you, everyone, I encourage all of us, where does that happen in you? This, mm, that's where one needs to exercise faith in a very specific way. Jesus, right here, free me. I beg you, free me. I beg you, free me. I've been avoiding conflict my whole life. Right here, when this stuff comes up, I avoid that. I beg you, free me. Free me. Right here, I know I should apologize. I'm too proud. I'm, I get held. Free me. I beg you here. I hold. Free me. Right here, I procrastinate. I'm a priest who procrastinates right here. And then I get irresponsible and not dependable. And people lose respect for me. And you can't be as influential through my priesthood as you would like. I beg you, free me, Lord. Free me. That's enough. Glory be to the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you, everyone. God bless you.